welcome to another episode of Dr. Me First. I'm Dr. Aaron Wiseman, and I am here today with a special guest, Dr. Naressa Bauer. She's a fellow physician here in the state of Indiana. She loves taking care of pediatric behaviors. God, I need her to come to my house. And we are talking today about self-compassion. So we're going to jump into the conversation and then stick around afterwards for a kick of encouragement about self-compassion. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Bauer. Girl, it's so great to finally get you on here. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. We've been talking about it for a long time, but we've finally synced our calendars. Way too long. And all of our listeners, we are fellow physicians in the state of Indiana. That's how we connected. And then I think we connected through maybe Somi Docs and we were doing an Instagram like group share type thing. And I got to follow in her stuff and I loved all of her little posts. And then, I don't know, then life happened and then COVID happened. And then now here a year and a half later, we're finally podcasting together. Yes. It's better late than never. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Well, tell all the fine folks out there in podcasting world a little bit about yourself. I know how fabulous you are, but share the magic. Oh, well, thank you, Erin. So I'm a behavioral pediatrician. And I oftentimes when I say that people are like, what is that? Are you a pediatrician? Are you a psychiatrist? What does that mean? And I tell them that I am a general pediatrician by training, but I specialize in the area of development and behavior. And I specifically love, love, love seeing the kids between two and tweens, uh, helping manage ADHD, anxiety, depression, parenting concerns, school concerns, you name it. Uh, It's just a fun and magical age. And so helping guide parents and children along that process. So that is my background. I was in academia for a long time and then got burnt out and uh, made the hard decision to leave. And it's really hard, I think, because when you go to med school, you sort of follow a straight line trajectory and you can kind of see it. And other people before you have gone that same route. And then when you get there, you're like, wow, this is not what I expected it to be, especially with the phenomenon of burnout. So I got to the point of trying to figure out, I'm not happy. And is it okay to not feel happy? (laughs) And uh, luckily for me, I have a very supportive husband, also a physician, also who left academia a couple of years before me. So sort of has been there and understood. And uh, so left in December of 2018 and haven't looked back. But I think there's lots of moments in in one's life that you get to a certain point and you're like, I should know this by now. (laughs) But I think what I wanted to share today was that whole idea of being forgiving of yourself and having that self-compassion and showing yourself grace because life is a work in progress. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I did not realize that you were going through your transition like when we met back in 2018. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you covered <laughs> that well then. <laughs> yeah, as well as I could, you know. Um, and luckily, I've made it to the other side. And I think there's not a day that goes by that I'm constantly thinking, am I doing enough? Am I, am I doing what I'm supposed to be drawing energy from? And I think that's the thing. I think 
now that I'm my own boss, it's a lovely feeling, don't get me wrong, but there's always that nagging feeling as a mom and as just, you know, a business person running my own private practice and a blogger thinking, what else am I doing or what else should I be doing? And that nagging feeling, it doesn't go away. It's just different in a different context, right? But 100%. I, right? And you just have to choose to sort of stop yourself when you feel that and realize wait, 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 <laughs> hold up and review sort of where you've been and be grateful for those things that you have now that you didn't before. And then sort of take that breath and that moment to think about, okay, hold on and recalibrate. I think that's an ongoing thing that I, I do with my families, but I also have to coach myself through when I'm starting to feel that overwhelm again. Yeah, that like awareness piece. So a recent awareness piece that I have had, it's in the form of an analogy because that's just how I work in my brain, yeah. was I was talking with another physician friend. She is a family medicine doc over in Illinois, and she's running her own DPC practice in like a county of like 20,000 people. So super small, like super off the grid, but yet killing it. And we were talking about how it feels sometimes like to quote unquote be out of the traditional system, but yet like not being able to explain it. And the analogy that I came up with is like when you're working for a big institution or for like the traditional medicine framework, it's like you're a lion at the zoo, you're caged and you know, you're in your little cage with your little fake pond and you're not super happy about that. And you may have to perform in ways that you don't want to, but every night they give you the T-bone, you know, you have the T-bone. Whereas when you become an entrepreneur or when you step out of the traditional space, it's like you're a wild lion and like you can roam all the grasses and the jungles and like experience all of it. But then there's that like fear of like, where's my next gazelle? The yeah. T-bone is like not guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And so like, as I've thought about that more and sat with it more, I see in myself where like those times of being in the wild, quote unquote, feel so scary, but I still wouldn't go back to the cage. Like I've now, I'm now out and yeah. it's like, okay, we're going to have to get creative here. We're going to have to like get a pride so we can hunt gazelles together. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true. And like part of that is, is like forgiving yourself one for at one point being a caged lion mm -hmm. and two like forgiving yourself for not wanting to be that anymore. That's absolutely right. I mean, I think, and not to, not to say being an academic is bad or wrong. I mean, obviously for folks that love that quest for knowledge and doing the research and working in teams and doing all that in that environment, awesome. And I loved it too, up until a point. It's forgiving yourself and saying, you know, I'm not a failure. There's so many things left that I can do. And I realized that I have lots of ideas. And before I was turning those ideas into research questions and hypotheses, but now I'm just turning them into ideas as an entrepreneur and getting that message out there much more quicker than had I been trying to slog my way through doing data collection, you know, writing grants, trying to get those grants trying to write and submit papers and then waiting for it to eventually get out into a, a journal that then nobody else really reads. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, my end yeah. point was my end audience was the families, really. And they're not going to pick up that journal. 
Yeah. And now you've taken out all of those filters and you're doing it in a way that feels so much more aligned to you. Because like you're saying, like, there's nothing wrong with the zoo. Like, there's some very happy animals who live at the zoo and that is their jam. But it's finding, like, what that environment is that aligns most with you and... And learning those things that they didn't teach us in med school. I mean, who freaking learned self-compassion in med school? I know I fucking didn't. No, no. And, and you know, the thing is, is that it's so needed because we are not infallible. I mean, we, we are human too. And there are going to be times that we make mistakes, whether it be directly related to patient care or, you know, data collection or whatever it is. But we also have to show ourselves grace and model that for our families. Like I deal a lot with families who have parenting concerns or parenting challenges. And I always tell them, you know, it's not all in the book, right? And even if you read the book, it seems so easy. And then you try to implement and you're like, what in the world? It's not, I mean, it should be easier than this. But what these books neglect to tell you is that real life is, is often messy. And you, we know this inherently, nobody's just like the book and we've got to be able to pivot and adapt. And I think if anything, resiliency and sort of giving yourself that forgiveness is the first starting point to be able to keep moving on. Mm -hmm. I love the literature and the, the work that Kristen Neff, she's a PhD out of Texas has done. And that's one thing that she mentions with self-compassion is just like first acknowledging like, wow, this is hard. Mm -hmm. This is messy. This is not ideal. And then like the second thing she talks about is the shared human experience. Like I'm not the only one feeling this, like other people feel this way. And like, that's that like connection piece, that community piece, like reading a blog post that Wiseman posts about her burnout and being like, wow, I see myself in that is so important. And then that last piece of what she talks about with self-compassion is not trudging your identity in what you feel like is the failure instead of being like, I am a failure instead of saying I made a mistake and like rewording that I think is so important. It's so powerful. It helps you sort of get out of that mindset and get unstuck. It can take a while, but, but you just got to keep moving forward. Well, and I think if you can be in an environment of people who practice self-compassion, it like oozes off of you and then like infiltrates into yourself. I know that as I have kind of been a hybrid physician and kind of like gone in and out of different hospitals, different institutions, offices, tried different settings, plus running my own business, you can really tell on people who practice compassion for themselves. You almost like magnetically want to be more around them. Mm-hmm, for sure. It's contagious. And I bet you probably see that too with like families as well, like parents who are very like self punitive. Like you can see that distancing in those like knitted family units. Yeah, it definitely can create and pose issues, especially if they're stuck in that mindset. It, it sort of also sort of reverberates in their interactions with their children, you know. And they don't mean it to be, but, you know, I mean, if they can't lift themselves out and, you know, see another side out of it, it's really hard when you're living in that crisis mode to be able to pull out and look at and examine other alternate ways of doing things. And I also think, too, it's like when we as Americans with first world problems Mm -hmm. look at people who have third world problems, 
and like literally are struggling to survive, but yet you can see joy on their face. I think they understand this concept that we're talking about. Yeah, I, I do. And I think, you know, I think um, this weird time we're living in and with COVID, I mean, I think a lot of us have realized how important just being back in touch with each other and not being overscheduled, materialistic things aren't necessarily the, the new best thing. I mean, really what counts most is our family's health, those connections with people, um, and that love and support that you get from your people. So mm-hmm. I think so too, because my husband was just telling me this just this morning about what the government's going to do with another round of stimulus. And I was kind of like, is it really about the money? And I mean, I, I'm not going to get into like the economics and all of that bullshit. But I, I was thinking about it from our family unit. Like, yes, thank you for extra money. Who would not turn that down? But when I really thought about it, I'm like, but we're okay with or without that. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, first world problems, we don't have trouble like paying the bills, food, light, shelter, all of that. I feel like we are all more letting go of materialism. Mm-hmm. And really kind of coming into hopefully a new phase as a culture together. Yeah, I hope so. And I want to maybe before we we move too far back and then I forget, that discussion of like in academia, that world, you know, is very built upon mentoring. And when I left, all of a sudden that whole safety net was no longer there. And, you know, you gave that analogy of, you know, being in the wild and not having that reliable T-bone, right? But then finding the rest of your pride. And it may look different outside of academia, but it's so important to find your people because we all need that. We can't exist. We like being with other people. That's what makes us human. Um, and we need those human connections, but those, those mentoring relationships, you have to work a little bit harder at it and network. I agree. And you have to network differently. It's not like you're all put together in the same office. Like you have to act like us. We had to actively reach out, foster a relationship together and say, hey, I want to be your friend. Will you be my friend? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's the thing too, is like just not being afraid to say that. And whether you're a parent who's struggling with a child who has behavior issues or having problems with your marriage or you know, you're, you're kind of getting stuck. You have a project like we were just talking about earlier about how I've been working on something and I just can't find the momentum and the time yet. But like, you know, not letting that stop me from continuing to revisit that and making that a priority and get it done. And I think that's what's hurt us, at least what's hurt me so much with COVID is so much more effort has to go into keeping those connections buzzing where I really took you know advantage before that I could get in a car and hop up to Indianapolis and come see you whenever I wanted to. And now it's like, no, I'm not going to Indianapolis. It's a hot spot right now. (laughs) But yet still being able to, I mean, just recognize, I think it's almost the void at times is what I've been feeling with COVID is like, but I really want my friends. Like I really want my connections, my colleagues and that sort of thing. And Yeah, getting creative with it and having high quality solutions around it rather than like starting to dig down in the mud and and be like, this is stupid. And because I mean, I've been there. I've been in the mud a few times in the past couple of months, but I know exactly what you mean. It's like 
Okay, recognizing what you did like out of the situation. Okay, and how am I going to build that now into what I want? So what we were talking about before we got on here is like building a team around. You know, as physicians, we work with nurses. We we work with front desk people. We work with MAs. We work with billing people. We work with this guy who supplies you with paper for your tables. We work with all these people. And then it's like somewhere in entrepreneurship, we think that we need to do it all. And we forget like, no, 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 no. Like that's not the system for which that makes us thrive the best. And so that's where I push on fellow entrepreneurs is like delegate, get help. Just as if like, for me, I'm not going to go into a procedure without my nurse in there with me. I want her to like hand me stuff or go run and get that when I forgot to tell you this. And and the same is, is in our business, like when we're writing a book or building a course or launching a website, just taking that. And again, I guess some of it is self-compassion to be like, I love myself enough to let other people help me. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. I mean, because if you don't do that, I mean, that was my biggest fear when I left was I don't want to end up being burnt out again. And at the time, I was so burned out that I couldn't disentangle if it was the research, it was the patient care, or it was it, you know, what was it, you know, uh, that was really driving it. And I really had to take a step back and sort of just be out of that space and then find the time to sort of just reconnect and make a list of what was it that brought me joy? Like what were the discrete tasks? Yes. Right. And then figuring out how to put that in place, but it may look different, but still draw joy from. Yes. That is such an important point that you bring in and that I work with so many people as like, instead of what are you running away from? What is it you're running towards? And what are you bringing with you from your past experiences, from your past journey that you're going to use in the future? It's like my kids with their Legos. Like they build some stuff and then they're like, oh, I don't like those crappy pieces, but they keep all the people, you know, and then the Lego people go to the new <laughs> building. Right. And so it's like finding those pieces of like what what infused us with energy and joy and love and saying, okay, I'm going to shave off all the rest of it. It's going to look different, but I'm going to keep these pieces that they're coming along with me because they trigger so much joy. And then I think it's always that constant reevaluation of like when stuff starts to pile up being like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. What's the bringing joy pieces. And then how do we find solutions about the stuff that needs to be done, but maybe someone else can do it. Or maybe we can have some kind of system set in place, or maybe this isn't as important as what I once thought. So I'm going to let that go and put it on the shelf and maybe come yeah, back to it. Later. Yeah. I think one of the things that when I made that decision, one of my really good friends said to me, we are going to miss you, but I want you to remember you are not a failure. You know, no matter what you're thinking or feeling inside right now as you leave, just know that you are not a failure and you are now going to be steering your own ship. And that's the beauty of being an entrepreneur, being out of that, is that I'm able to say, that's not bringing me joy anymore, so I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> Whereas you might not have the luxury of getting rid and shedding those things that are bringing you down in that other context. And then being grateful for that. Yeah. 
you know, on the other side, for people who are still in the traditional context and like identifying things that don't bring them joy, I think it's so super important to be able to like communicate that well. Because again, that was not anything that I was taught. It's something that I have had to learn as a skill is what am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? What is at the root? Is there something I need or lack from this? And how would I go about this differently? And like digging into that. And I think if all of us had taken those kind of questions and answers to our bosses, our directors, and and they too were in that kind of mindset, just think about the huge shifts that we could make in the workplace that would make it amazing to work in. For sure. For sure. So I'm with you. Well, Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, for talking with me. I love your Instagram account. So all of you who are following me on Instagram, you need to go over and I'll put the links in the show note. But tell everybody a little bit about your website and your fun newsletter that you're doing. Oh, well, thanks. So um, my blog is called letstalkkidshealth.org altogether. And it's sort of a little play on words because as a parenting person and you learn all the parenting principles, we learn one of the things that we shouldn't ever tell kids is the let's command. (laughs) Unless you absolutely intend to be involved. It was intentional. I want parents, I want educators, I want anybody interested in child health and wellness to be involved in the conversation. And it's all about talking about kids' health and wellness. So Um, I write about things relating to the topics and conditions that I love to treat, anxiety, ADHD, um, depression, and parenting concerns. And along the way, I've also developed a lot of family-friendly handouts, which are usually one page, very concise, but lots of pictures, not very, you know, uh, wordy, because I think that when I'm trying to impart something that's important to families, I don't want the things to get lost in translation, so I think they need a takeaway but then yet it's something they could share with the other providers, other care providers, teachers, whatever. Um, So I have a lot of those kinds of tools on my website. And then I have what I call family jumpstart kits that I've started putting together. So I'm constantly looking at ways to engage, empower, and educate families and children around their wellness. And I want parents and kids to be talking in positive ways with each other and not working against each other. So these jumpstart kits are just principle tools that sort of tackle some of the everyday challenges of parenting, but help to reset and get that conversation going in a positive way. So there's like a screen and chore tracker jumpstart kit. There's a family goal getter jumpstart kit. And those are just two of the ones that are on there. And I have lots of other ideas for other ones, especially as I see patients. I'm like, ooh, that would be a good one because it's a common scenario that I see. So just trying to make those types of resources available. Um, I'm on Instagram, Pinterest, I'm on Facebook under Let's Talk Kids Health. And I just did a Mask of the Day post 18 (laughs) series of posts that have conversation starters to help parents talk with their kids about school and masks and what may be different, uh, as well as giving a shout out to other small businesses, because that's what we need to do, support each other. I love that because I stole some of your questions and started talking to my kids about it because here in Indiana, we're actually, as of today, which is July 28th that we're recording, uh, they're going to go ahead with school in our areas. And so it's just having those conversations and 
I know it's it's your questions have really been helpful because to me, I would go in the conversation and be like, well, do you guys want to go to school or not? <laughs> That's not the question to ask right now because they don't know. Of course, they want to go to school and like see their friends and, you know, or maybe my middle one, he doesn't want to go to school. But I just I want to tell you just here on air, like I do appreciate it. And not just as a colleague, but as a mom who follows you, I think your work is beautiful and it really is so helpful. And I'm just so, so delighted to call you friend and colleague. Oh, thank you. That's really sweet. I appreciate all that feedback. And I, I always tell my patients, like, I want us to be a, a team. And so I always give them permission. I'm like, just push back. Anytime I say something you don't understand, like push back on me. I mean, that's what I'm here for. We're going to like find the solution together one of us may not know exactly everything, but together as we get to know each other and figure things out, we'll get there. We'll get to the other side, but we just have to be able to communicate clearly and freely with each other. So that's what I want for my families. I And I think that's totally true. That's ha- happening in the Dr. Me First tribe as well, is that just having really open dialogue and saying, even if we disagree, I still got your back. Yeah. Yeah. And kids have a lot to offer too. So like getting their input, getting their buy-in, inviting them to like express their thoughts and feelings is so important in anything um, and to get buy-in and and change. All right, time for that kick of encouragement. And like I said, I really want to talk more about self-compassion because it was not anything that I ever learned until I started doing this work. And it's amazing to me that there's now research that shows that people who are compassionate towards their failings, their imperfections, they actually experience greater well-being than those who repeatedly judge themselves. When I first read that research, I was like, that feels a little counterintuitive. But think about it. If you're always the dog that is getting kicked for being a dog, then of course you're not going to thrive. But if you're the dog that does silly things, but your owner still loves you and takes care of you, you are going to thrive. Why would we not treat our, ourselves internally like that? And I think I know a little bit why. Because when we were younger, those harsh criticisms, those judgments, those words helped to spur us towards greatness, towards excellence, towards being the best. But somewhere along the way, those went from helping us to excel to actually being pathologic. Can you think about that point in your life? For me, it was junior high. Like coming to that awareness realizing that if I just was a little bit better, I pushed a little bit harder, I stayed up a little bit later doing homework, that that was something different in me. And I can see how that small, tiny snowball of self-criticism and judgment started the avalanche that would continue on for decades. So my baptism into self-compassion came from picking up the book, and I've talked about it a bunch of times on the podcast, Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself by Kristen Neff, PhD. I'm going to 
quote a few little things out of the book, I would highly, highly, highly recommend the book. Go to her website. She's got a bunch of free stuff on there. But she is a researcher, and her research has actually indicated that self-compassionate people tend to be more authentic and autonomous in their lives, whereas those who lack self-compassion tend to be more conformist because they don't want to risk social judgment or rejection. Authenticity and autonomy are critical for happiness. Shake your head with me at this. But because without them, life can feel like meaningless drudgery. So I think that's so important that we're not just being kind to ourselves because we're yippy dippy and being kind. There's research behind it that we can become our more authentic selves, that we can have more autonomy by being kind to ourselves. And self-compassion might lead us to unconventional choices for ourselves. One of the questions that Dr. Neff talks about in her book is setting an exercise where you set a timer for random times to go off on your phone. And when it beeps, you ask yourself, what would be the most healthiest and most self-compassionate thing for me to do right now? And you know, a lot of times that's like stopping working, taking more naps, hugging my family more. At least those are the things for me. And so those may be what I would call unconventional choices for myself instead of grinding and working harder and all of that. And having self-compassionate actions will be the right choices made for the right reasons and the desire to follow our own hearts whenever we tap into that. So I encourage you to check out more about self-compassion. If you're like me and had no depth of knowledge at it at all, you're not alone. It's okay. But now you get to know, you get to explore it. And let me tell you, it's so much funner on this side. Thanks again for joining me today. Hang out with me, find the links in the show notes. And remember, your life.